last week of our master class series. Um, and so originally I was only going to do four weeks and then, um, I got into a show a while ago. I was kind of telling you guys last week about this uh, SEAL team uh, show that I, I watch. And it kind of, it's, it's fictional, but it gives you a glimpse of what they go through. And it follows uh, the Bravo team of, uh, of the SEAL team, um, goes through their life. It shows their, their individual lives and their family lives. And it also shows when they get called out to different uh, uh, scenarios and, and, and all, the, all the things in between, the, the clashes between how they, how they are when they're with their brothers and they're fighting and, and when they are at home and, and, and what it takes to kind of decompress and what their lives look like. And one of the things that in, in watching this show, you know, I'm just doing a little studying on the SEAL teams and um, it's interesting. I've never heard the term until I started actually watching the show that they're called frogmen, which I think is a hilarious nickname for such, you know, bad men. Like, you know, it's like frogmen. And I think of like little leaping frogs, you know, ribbit. Um, but, you know, it makes sense because they're Navy and they're, you know, they're, they're out there. So they're, they're frogmen. Um, but uh, it's interesting to, to look at some of the real life heroes in the Navy SEALs and what they've gone through and, and who they are and, and what they've done in their life. Um, one of them named Bradley Cav Kavner. It's kind of funny. His nickname is just three letters of his last name, but I guess they looked at him and couldn't come up with a better nickname. But Bradley Kavner said this. He says, to those before us, to those amongst us, to those we will see on the other side, Lord, let me not prove unworthy of my brothers. Now, from everything I can tell, everything, all of my studying in that um, saying, he is the one that coined it, and then um, a lot of seals use it. And it's kind of like a, a toast, a, a cheer to uh, the men that have gone before them, the men that they serve with, and the men that will come after them. And, and it's a way of saying, hey, listen, we are a part of an honorable and, and, and purposeful group of men that do something that is life-changing on the highest level of humanity and going in and, and saving people and going in and doing top-secret missions and, and those kind of things. And, and it's kind of this honor to say, hey, listen, I don't want my position to ever be used in a way that could bring shame upon the men that have gone before me and the men that will come after me. And, and, and I heard this, I actually heard the saying in the show uh, SEAL Team, and they, you know, of course, they've got their little shot glasses with their little bit of whiskey in it, and they're toasting a, a, a dead comrade. And they said, to those before us, to those amongst us, to those we will see on the other side, Lord, let me not prove unworthy of my brothers. And I was like, man, what, what an amazing statement that we should also say about each other in the church. And so, so today... When I, as I'm wrapping this up, this, this message that came um, to me as a fifth week, is, I titled it Brotherhood. You know, it doesn't leave the women out. It's just a mindset, right? Brotherhood. And, and, and so it's this idea that no matter what we walk through, one of the biggest things that we have as a tool is each other. And, 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 and so much of our life is spent with people how we treat people, how we interact with them, what we think of them, how we, how we overthink, right? You know, because, hey, listen, I work with some people that, well, I should say I work with one person and, and we, we love them to death, but they're an overthinker. 
And the rest of us, we're like really, I guess we're just simpletons. I don't know. Like, we're just like, this is the way it is. This is what happens. This is how we go. Like, let's not make this more complicated than what it has to be. And, and, and so we, you know, but, but if you're an overthinker, you, 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 you're like already overthinking the overthought. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we, we tease because, you know, we say, what if? And it's like, well, what if? Like, how many, did you live your life with what ifs in mind? Like, you wake up going, well, what if on my way to work, uh, my tire blows? And then what if when my tire blows, I go into a ditch? And then what if I go into a ditch and there's a mountain lion and it eats my head off? Like, like where does the what if stop? Where, does the, where do we stop thinking of the worst case scenario? Because listen, what ifs are never popular. What ifs are never like, what if I, for the first time in my whole life, play the, the mega millions when it's at $2 billion, and I, what if God gives me the five or six numbers that you need to win, and what if I get it? Because then this is how I deal with God. I go, God, you know you're going to get at least, bare minimum, 10%. Like, 10% of $2 billion is a lot of money, God. Just remember that. The kingdom would be very thankful for it. It hasn't worked out for, in my favor yet, obviously, okay? But... We, we, we play these, we have these people in our, in our, in, and, and they play what ifs and they get overwhelmed and overthink. And a lot of times what happens with, with, the, with our personalities is that it bleeds over to people. And we take it out on people or we treat people differently based off of how we see things, right? People say that, you know, uh, pers- your perspective is your truth. And that's true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the truth. Right, so, so although your perspective may be your truth, it's how you see the world around you, it doesn't mean that it's, how, it's, it's not how everybody else has to see it, and it's not the truth. And we go around and we take people and we treat people based off of our opinions, off of our perspectives, also about our t- intentions. Isn't it interesting that we want people to judge us based off of our intentions, but we judge everybody else based off of what they do, Right? And, and, and everybody, everybody in the room is guilty of it, right? Oh, but if you understood what I meant, what you meant and what you did are two different things. What you meant and what you said are two different things. But do you hand over that same grace when somebody falls and does you wrong? See, brotherhood says we may go through tough times. And I may even annoy you. And I may even go as far as to say I may hurt you. but do you still have my back? Or is it one and done? Is it, is, it, is it you hurt me so you no longer get access to me? And it's interesting when you, when you look at strong teams, whether it's in the military, whether it's in the sports world, whether it's in the workforce, strong teams are not a bunch of perfect people working together. <laughs> Normally, it's a lot of different personalities learning how to operate within the sphere of doing the best job they possibly can. Life was never meant to do alone. The last couple of weeks, I will tell you personally, through multiple situations, I was reminded of the need to have community in life. Different people calling, different people, different scenarios, different circumstances in my life, realizing, man, not only do I need it, but I need to be available for people that need it because it may be one phone call away from the the difference between you making a good decision or a bad decision based off of who you're able to talk to. 
whether you were struggling with a circumstance, getting terrible news, life turns upside down, or you want to celebrate. And I think a lot of times we, we look at it just from the negative, like, oh, woe is me, I'm going through it, I need somebody. You do, absolutely, 100%. But man, is, it, it sucks to celebrate alone, right? Like, it sucks to be like, man, great job. Woo, go team, go. Like, you want people around you to be like, man, you did amazing. Man, that was awesome. I, I love celebrating people. One of the questions that we ask every Sunday to our, our serve team is, does anybody have a win? And I think people get so over-thoughtful of that thought process because they're like, well, what if, like, I, my, my son, he, he, listen, he'll, listen, if he woke up, he'll be like, I'm breathing, that's a good win. Like, he, my team won. Like, and, and most people will be like, well, okay, that's cool. But, like, no, but, the, like, that's a win, and we may overlook it. We may go, yeah, okay, but, because we're looking for, my friend was healed of cancer or, uh, you know, somebody paid my car note off and I don't know who they are. Like, we're looking for these major things. But what about the little simple things in life that, man, we just want somebody to celebrate with us. We just want somebody to go, hey, um, I'm here. I want to be seen in a, in a world full of billions. I want to be seen and I want to be a part of something and I want, I want to know that I don't have to have 500, but I just want to know that I've got a few in my corner. We need people who are willing to do life with us. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You need people in your life. You Listen, it, if you bought the lie that you don't need anybody, you need to knock that lie right out your life because you were never meant to be alone. You were never meant to do life alone. And, and, and that's when the enemy gets in and he starts to share those lies. Oh, you're not valuable. Oh, you're not this. Oh, you're not that. Why don't you just do this? Nobody would even care. Nobody would ever notice. When somebody hurts you, just, just let them go because they, were, they, they hurt you. And, 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 and don't fight for things because, you know what, it's just better off if, if, if stop trusting. God says that's not how we do things. God says we, we do it as a team, we do it as a family because family is important and, and we have to be willing to walk life together. And I love the, the book of James. James 5.16 says this. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And we could blow over this. I've read this scripture a thousand times in my life. I've read it a handful of times here. Let me say this, and, and, and how much of this message I actually speak, I don't know, um, but I just really feel really strongly about this scripture, um, is this, is that if we look at scripture and we just read it for, for face value and just go, oh, that's a cute scripture, or that's a, that's a nice saying, I guess my question is, like, how much of the power of God do you want in your life? Like, <laughs> without, you know, beating around the question. Like, like some people like just want to come to church and, and, and they just want to hear a, 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 a cute little message or maybe an encouraging lift you up. You can do it. You're the best. And there's nothing wrong with that because you are awesome, all of you. You are, but it's not about you, right? Like my, my, my goal isn't to look more like Scott. It's to look more like God. Like there's no scripture there that says look like your pastor or, or imitate your, well, I guess actually that's not true. The Bible does say imitate me as I imitate Christ. But see, there's the key. It says imitate me as I what? As I try to imitate Christ. It's the leaders saying, hey, listen, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna do my best to walk with Jesus. And I've been responsible to lead people closer to Jesus. That's, that's my calling as a leader, Okay. Your calling is to then turn around and do it for somebody else. 
And, and so, so we go throughout life and we say, listen, my, my goal isn't to look more like Scott. Matter of fact, the Bible says I must decrease so that God can increase. And so if we are just taking church for, for face value, uh, we're having this conversation at work. I, I work with uh, some really great people <laughs> that are really pessimistic sometimes. Um, and I love them to death, but, but they are. It's, it's funny. We started talking about church, and, and, and they give me a hard time because I'm from California, which, by the way, no, I'm not. Um, just letting you know. Not, I, I moved from California. I am not from California. There's a difference. My wife is from California. I am not. Um, and so my kids are from California. I am not. Okay? I was not born. I lived there half my life. I am not from California. Okay? Just, just throwing that out there. Um, but they give me a hard time. They call me the hippie California preacher man. And uh, I'm like, dang. Um, and uh, they, make, they, they make fun of me all the time because I can, I've got big shoulders and I can take it. Um, but uh, we're talking about church because all of us pretty much go to church. And, uh, it, you know, they were saying, listen, 15 minutes and that preacher's got to be done talking. And I'm like, I don't know what church you go to. Listen, I, I told Eric this morning, I said, my goal is to really shorten my messages this year. Uh, 15 minutes? Look. Not even a TED talk gets that short, okay? Listen, YouTube, uh, you know, the, the rah-rah stuff, like you, you find, you know, those kind of things sort of 20 minutes long and you want the message of God in 15? I'm like, nah, that ain't gonna happen. Why? Because we want a nice, cute little package of church and Christianity that touches us a little bit, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go into the area of life change. And so we... we, we, we render messages and, and scriptures down to cute little sayings that make us feel good instead of change our life. Because if we did the scripture the way that it was written, it would be life-shattering. Confess your sins to one another. That sounds scary. That sounds scary. But it's only scary when the trust isn't built amongst people to care for one another. Because if I go to Rodney and I say, man, I'm struggling, I have to trust him that he's not going to turn around and go to Randy and go, yo, do you hear what I heard? I heard Scott's struggling. And now trust is broken. And so we build walls. And so I don't need Rodney anymore because I know that Rodney's going to hurt me. But if we, if, we, if we trust one another, if we, if, we, if we love one another the way the Bible says and we learn to build up that relationship, then confessing our sins to one another doesn't sound so scary because we know that they care and we know that they're going to be there to encourage us. And they're going to, when they say something we don't like, it's typically because they're challenging us in an area of our life where maybe we're not ready to give up something yet. And so it says, confess your sins to each other. And, and here's the thing, and not just give good advice. Pray with one another. It's not just, man, Chris, I'm going through it, da 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 You know what I would do? I'd probably, you know, go to the lake and just spend a day just looking at the lake. That sounds great. Sign me up. But does that really progress me anywhere in my circumstance? No, it just makes me take a void day. There's nothing wrong with a rest day. There's nothing wrong with that. But even if, and there's a whole biblical aspect of rest days that still involve God, that still involve him being in the middle of all of that. 
But it's, it's that prayer. It's that, it's that spiritually diving in one another with, hey, listen, I don't want to just give you some good sage wisdom. I want to also lead, leave with you the very power of God that we have as a connection. It says, confess our sins and pray with each other. Why? So that you may be healed. So listen, if you don't have prayer partners, then there are things in your life that are not getting healed. You have trauma in your past? Have you had people that have walked you through it and willing to pray with you? If not, you're not. The Bible says it is the confessing and the praying that gives us healing. Jesus gives us salvation, and people are a lot of times the avenue of healing through God's will and purpose. He's going to use a Mr. Randy to help pour into people's lives and, and to pray. And he's going to use a Sean to speak life into somebody. And he, he, he's ready to use you. And here's the thing. This is why so many times we go, I don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is to show up, like we talked about two weeks ago, into people's lives and be willing to say, God, however you want to use me, use me. And that means I need to be what? Connected to his word. I need to be connected in prayer. I need to be connected to the Father so that when people are hurting I'm not just giving them some Oprah advice, but I'm ready to actually give them something that's powerful and life-changing. And that has nothing to do with your pastor. And it has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with your willingness to be an avenue for God. I always think of, of, of Miss Linda in the Walmart experience when she's just walking through Walmart and she, God says, pray for that, that, that Walmart worker. And it's so random. Pray for them, huh? How many of us at that moment would go, that was not God, that was indigestion? Because that just sounds, that's weird. She stops and she goes, can I pray for you? Hi, my name's Linda. Hopefully it was, hi, my name's Linda, not just can I pray for you. Knowing Linda, it probably was. Hi, my name's Linda, can I, can, I just feel like I need to pray for you. And the lady was like, absolutely. And, and it's funny because prayer connects people in a way that a lot of nothing else will. You, you'll feel a lot closer to people when they start praying for you. So much so that you'll trust them with your, your, with your junk, right? When people start praying, you're like, man, I need to, listen, I, you have now been connected to me in a deep way that nobody else has uh, before in a spiritual battle. And now I, I, I feel like I can tell you more and you grow and you, and you build each other up and you walk with life with one another. So many of us, we don't get that because we're not willing to trust and we're not willing to get in that group. That's why life groups are so valuable. You may go, what is the purpose? What, what purpose does a walking life group have in my spiritual life? Hey, well, until you show up, you'll never know. Well, it's just walking. It's just walking until somebody goes, man, I've had a bad day. And that group comes around them and says, yeah, you know what? At the end of this, let's pray for you. If you've never had a, a group of people spend like two minutes just praying for you, man, you're missing out. It doesn't mean that they're walking the whole time going, thus saith the Lord, quoting scriptures, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, they may be talking about shopping 90% of the time, 99% of the time. They may be talking about coffee, the other half a percent. It's probably 99% and then a half percent shopping or somewhere around in there, depending on the day. A half a percent of the time may be spent on Jesus and it may be the half percent that absolutely, utterly changes everybody's life in that group. Community is important. So I'm going to give you, and these literally are just little thoughts, little 
These are, there's no expansion on this. But I put this down, and it's, I guess I called it a point. It's, it's, the point is this, team, not me. And maybe it's because I'm a team person. I'm a, I'm a person who has grown up playing sports my whole life, and so this team mindset, I can't do this alone. Even in the church world as a pastor, like, I can't do this alone. This morning, I literally had to call my wife and, and say, hey, um, can you show up to church and do the things that I would normally do at 6.30 in the morning because I can't be there? My wife gets up and she gets going and, she, and, and I show up and Eric's doing his thing already and my wife's doing her thing and I, I didn't have to do a single thing that I normally do this morning. Um, and, and if there wasn't a little bit of anxious in, inside of me, I, there'd be something wrong. Um, I'm also a control freak and I'm learning how to deal with that. Uh, and so, and, and part of that is just letting go and saying, trusting people. Man, I know, listen, I know that when, when Eric showed, I don't, for the longest time, like, I would sit up here, and I'd get ready, and I'd get all the iPads and all the batteries, and Eric would show up and be like, listen, I'm the sa- I, I, I need something to do when I show up. So you know what I did is I started purposely not doing that. Not for me. Because, like, I like making sure everything's in its place. But because people need to feel important and feel like a team. And if I'm trying to do everything, then nobody has a role to fill. And so I can't do this by myself. Team, not me. Just like any team, we have our people. I think of it like this. Football's coming to an end. Uh, the, the Pro Bowl, whatever that means, is today. It's, you know, it's a good time to take a nap. Um, um, but uh, the Super Bowl's coming. That's a lot more fun to watch. And, and, but the fun part about, about football to me is you will have a team, right? In the NFL, there's 53 men. And on one side is offense, on one side is defense, and they've got their coaches and they've got their players. And you are still part of the team. If, if Chris is on offense and I'm on defense, we're still a team, but I probably don't spend much time with Chris. And, and so there's the team, and the overall goal of the team is to win. And the offense has a job and the defense has a job and, and we don't necessarily intermingle. It doesn't, we, we don't like each other. We just, we just have different roles and different things and so we may not run in the same circle during practice or during the game. And then you get even more specific and, and Rodney may be D-line and, and I'm a cornerback and we're not gonna, so even though we're on the same side, we're broken up into individual groups. And listen, that is a beautiful picture of the church. You have the church. We all play different roles, and we may not, we don't all have to be best friends, but we have to, we, we all have the same goal, which is to reach people for Jesus and to live as close to God as we possibly can. That, that's, our, that's our goal, that's our aim, is to make much of Jesus, make much of him. And so I can't do that by myself, and so, so I've got to have my people, and I've got to trust that, that Eric knows what he's doing, and, 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 and I don't need to stare over his shoulder, and, and that, that our musicians, man, they come ready, and, and they're ready to practice. And you know what? The people that agree, I don't have to stand and hover over them and go, are you going to smile today? Are you going to, oh, what are you, are you going to say hi? What are you, how are you going to greet people? You know, like, I, I don't have to do that. I don't have to hover around the, the kids' ministry and go like, oh, please, please don't hurt our kids. <laughs> it's a good, good way to like not have church. Um, please love them. <laughs> you know, I don't have to do that. Why? Because we trust one another. We are a team running in the same position or the, or the same focus. We all have our little spots. And what Life Groups is, is it's saying, I've got my people. I don't have to tell a thousand people my stuff, but maybe I have two people that I really trust that are in my life group that, man, they know. And when I'm going through it, I can reach out and they can pray for me. Life groups make you stronger. It's a team, not me mentality. 
So what does a team give you? And there's these simple things. They make you stronger. They make you stronger. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. One has a hard time winning a fight, especially if there's multiple people. Right? I think of like the Ninja Turtles, right? When they were always in trouble, what they do? Shell to shell to shell to shell, and they were always ready to go. Like, you got, you got it coming, right? Because they, they knew, like, I, I, I trust the person behind me to watch my back. I, I trust the person to the left or right of me to, to have my back and to fight with me, not fight against me. And so many times in the church, we're so worried about who's fighting against each other in the house of God that we don't even trust each other to have each other's back in prayer and in spiritual battle. And so when, when, when team is working properly, they make you stronger. They spiritually lift you up. I love the story in Exodus 17. Um, and, and this story is, 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 there's a lot of verses about it, but the overall view is this. Moses goes into battle with the Israelites and, Moses, and God tells Moses, you're gonna, you're gonna fight that, uh, the, this group of people. And so Moses tells Joshua and says, get your men and go. Grab some men and go fight. And so there's Moses and there's Aaron and her, and they're up there on the mountain. And they're watching this. They're strategic, right? They're the, they're the, the captains, and they're watching everything. And, they're, and it says that Moses would hold his staff up, and it says as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Am- Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became tired so he could no longer hold them up. Could you imagine in the middle of, of a battle? Could you imagine being a coach in the middle of a football game or a baseball game? And the, the only way you could win is if you held this rod up the whole time. You know, go, go to the gym and just hold a five-pound dumbbell up for a long period of time. Five pounds, oh, it doesn't sound like much. You hold it up for like 10 minutes. You're over here. Started going back to the gym last week. We we did these dumbbell workouts that literally I, I looked like the T Rex for like two days because I couldn't extend my arms out. I'm like, <laughs> and it was it was really sad because we just we just did dumbbell curls to end the workout, and so you know you you start at a comfortable weight that you can do it, and you 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 go to where you can. Then you move down one, and you go to when you can't, and then you go down. Listen, you get to the five pounds, five pounds, people. If somebody knew had just walked into that gym right at that moment, they would have thought there was something wrong with me. I'm over here with five pounds going. It's like, what is wrong with me? Some of you are going, that can't be true. Listen, I'm telling you, go to the gym today. Start at like 25 pounds and just go until you can't and then step down to 15, and then go until you can't, and then step down to 10, and go until you can't. You get to that five pounds, you're going to feel like you're picking up sandbags. So Moses is here, and he's holding his, his it's, just a, it's just a stick. He's holding a stick up. As long as he's holding the stick up, they're winning. But it says that when he got tired, and his arms would start to drop, that they would start to lose. And so it says this, so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. 
Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Aaron and Hur decided to put their pride aside because they're not the leaders. They don't get the credit. They're not the strategists. They're, they're, they're just the people with, by the strategists. They're, they're, they're by the captain. But as long as the captain's arms are up, they're winning. So their job is to hold their man up spiritually in battle. And so sometimes it's not about you and about, well, I just give great advice. Who cares? I, I don't care how good of advice you give. If it doesn't benefit spiritual growth in people's lives, if it just makes you look good, I tell people all the time, I could, I could preach with really big words, but what good would that do? Paul says it that way. He says, he says I can speak a lot of things, but I would rather speak five intelligent words that people understand. See, a lot of times it's not about what it makes us look like, but how does it benefit somebody? How does it, how does it, how does it help you? How does it grow your spirit? How does it get you closer to Jesus? That is our job as believers, for one another to lift each other up through the battles and say, how do I help you through this? It spiritually lifts you up. We don't battle alone. We don't face the enemy solo. We have our people. And so I'm telling you today, don't give up on the promise. Don't give up on the miracle. Don't give up on the God moments. When you don't have the words, get somebody to pray for you. Get somebody to worship with you. Get somebody to stand in the battle with you and hold your hands up. The other thing that teams do is this, is they challenge you. They challenge you. I want somebody to challenge me. I want somebody to say, you know what? Have you ever thought of it this way? I've got people in my life that, that have, the, have the okay to walk into my life and challenge me with any decision that I make. One of them will be preaching here next week has the ability to walk into my life and say, that's probably not okay, and I have to be willing to listen to him. Because he spiritually has walked me through faith areas of my life that he knows that he has the ability to say, mm, probably not a good decision as a leader. Hey, probably not a good decision there, bud. I want people in my life who are going to challenge me. I don't like yes men. I don't like people just go, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea, when we're really walking off the, the cliff. This way, oh, yeah, whatever you say, man, whatever you say, and you just start walking, and it's, whew, there he goes. I don't want that. I want people that are willing to say, you know what? Maybe that's not the best decision for us. Maybe that's not the way that we need to go. Have you thought of it this way? I want people in my life that will, will challenge me to be the best leader, the best husband, the best father, the best person, the best God-following believer that I can be. Paul said to Timothy, and I just said this earlier, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was telling Timothy, listen, if you want to be the best version of yourself, watch how I do it as a leader because I'm following Jesus. I want someone to challenge me in my faith, in my mentality, in my health. I want to dig in and, and, and go harder. I want to be able to go to the best places that God has for me. So we have to be willing to challenge each other. But it only comes when we are, when we are close to one another and can hold each other accountable. And you have to be willing to listen. Later on in James, it says we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? We, we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to be willing to listen. The next thing is that you're, 
not looking for cheap success, but a lifestyle of effectiveness. Teams aren't looking for cheap success, right? Because winning, winning something, you know, winning a game, like if you're a team, like, yeah, okay, cool. Like we, we in, in, in the football world, you hear the words like dynasty. They don't want to just win one. They want Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl champions, they, they want to win back-to-back. Back. They, want, they want to be able to say, like, the Cowboys of the 90s, okay? We've won back-to-back, back, skipped a year, and then won again. And we haven't seen the Super Bowl since. But at one point, we were there. And we didn't just win, but we won back-to-back, back, and we really should have won back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back, but, you know, that's a whole other story. We want dynasties, we, we, we want, we want long-lasting championships. We want long-lasting effectiveness. Galatians says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So it's not just about, okay, hey, you're a Christian, man, John, you, you're a believer. Not only that, but you're part of the freedom fam, so I'm definitely going to bless and, 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 and do good to you. It says, do good to everyone, but especially believers. In other words, like you should be looking to bless people, but you definitely should never have issues that, that cause such divisiveness within the family of God. Learn to work out your struggles. Learn to work through the problems. But always have a mindset of doing good. And I, and I love what it says uh, in the middle of that, which is this. It says, um, don't get tired of doing what is good. Cheap success says when it's, when it's hard, stop. You've had a good run of it, just stop. Let it go. Effectiveness says when it gets hard, that's when we dig in and we, we, we keep going. When, when, it, when it's hard, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing the things that I know to do to be effective because at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings. There's a whole lot of message in, in that set of scriptures. You know, you, you, you get what you plant, right? Nobody's ever planted uh, an apple tree and, and got oranges. You just ha you have it. No, nobody's planted onions and got strawberries. That would be awesome. Be a better use of our, our ability to, to plant and eat things because onions are nasty. But, but, you know, to get strawberries, you know, like, you know, we've never done that. So, so you can't, how, how can we be so alarmed? Well, I don't understand how I got here. It's like, what did you plant in your life? Did you plant hurtfulness and anger? Did you plant divisiveness? Did you plant untrustworthy? Did you plant uh, all of these emotions that you can't now control? What did you plant in your life? Because what you planted is what you're going to receive. People say, well, you, I can't fake it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? You, so you can fake being upset, but, but, but faking wanting to get closer to God until you actually get there is, is a bad thing. Listen, sometimes the best thing you can do is just do what you know to do. You may not like it at times. Oh, I don't feel like reading my word. That's faking it. 
right? If you don't want to do something, but you do it anyways, that's faking it. But sometimes the best thing you can do is do the things that you know to do, even if you don't want to do them. Because at the right time, you will get a harvest. So it says, what you plant is what you'll get. You want a good marriage? Plant things that are going to produce a good marriage. Well, you don't understand, Pastor Scott. John, he just, he, all he wants to do is hunt and this and that and that and blah, 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 and I'm always last. And I use them because I know I can because, you know, look, look at him. He's like so happy-go-lucky. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like so many people that were ready to pick apart our partner and instead of going, what can I do? Because that's a lot harder. Well, I can tell you my partner's flaws. Well, I can but then when the question comes, well, what do you have? Well, that's, we're not talking about me. Well, in order to have an effective marriage, and, and if you've ever, um, I think it's uh, the movie Courageous. Uh, or no, it's Fireproof. And, and, they, and, he, and, he, and the whole thing is, it has nothing to do about his wife. His wife's ready to cheat on him. His wife's doing all these things. But it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with what am I doing that I can better myself, get closer to God, and do things in my marriage to make it stronger. And, he would, and, and it would, he would wake up. And listen, he didn't want to do it. His dad laid the challenge. If you've never seen the movie Fireproof, I'm not saying it's the most cinematic, most amazing thing in the world, but the message is amazing, right? Especially if you're married, you're like, oh my gosh. We're going to get married or ever want to have a relationship, like learn it now. Because he was handed this, this thing and, and, and it would say stuff like, go buy them something nice today. How many know that when you're not happy about who you're waking up to, the last thing you want to do is go spend money on them? I'll buy you one of those plants that eats things. Like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> You know, you're like, what, what's the worst thing that I could buy them? You know, I'm going to buy them underwear that smells like farts. Like, I don't like, I don't know. If they make that, that's awesome. Like, that's, that's, that, but, but here's, and, and catch me on my little rabbit trail, but, but here's the deal. Could you imagine what it does that in the middle of having issues, you're still putting them first? How that doesn't change the mindset of the person. Because a lot of times the, the aspects of marriage that fail is because we don't feel seen or heard or loved. And so we force ourselves to see and feel and love. It's work. Well, every relationship is like that. What you build, you want to be a good worker? You want to have good workers? You've got to invest that. You've got to plant that. You want to be a good student? Yeah. As a youth pastor for 13 years, it always cracked me up when students, when we would say, is there anything we can pray for? I got a test tomorrow. I'm really praying for an A. Did you study? No. <laughs> You're not getting an A, homeboy. It's just not happening. I'm sorry. God's a miracle working God, but he also gave you brains for a reason. Like, God's not a genie. It just cracks me up. We've got to be willing. If we want something, we've got to plant it. It's that simple. Harvest, plant. Harvest, plant. We've got to plant what we want to harvest. So what areas of your life do you want to harvest something amazing from God? Start to plant those things. Lastly, is we stand between the living and the dead. 
We stand between, and and listen, this may sound absolutely weird to you for a moment. Like, what does that even mean? I'm not in between the cemetery and living people. You're right. There's a story in Numbers, and and there's two scriptures that I put in there, but I'm going to give you the 50-foot, 50,000-foot flyover. One of the many times God and Moses are having conversations about who wants to kill off the Israelites. I told you, these, these, these conversations are real, right? Like, God's like, these guys are idiots. I want to kill them. Moses is like, please don't. I'm kind of fond of them. Then there's times where Moses is like, they're all idiots. You're right, God. Let's just kill them. And God's like, nah, let's not. And we're, we get to know, uh, Numbers, right? Numbers 16, and we're having one of these conversations because, check this out, the church has risen up against its pastor. The church has risen up against its pastor. And, and the Levites, which was the, the priestly lineage of, uh, of Israel, went to Moses and said, you just want to be the leader because you like calling the shots and you like being number one. Anybody that's ever been in leadership knows that's farthest from the truth. I would give anything to be a back row, back row Baptist. Like, I would love to go into a church and just be like, yo, let me point out all the flaws in the church. It's fun, by the way. When, you, when I go to conferences, I get so excited when the big churches have failures because I'm like, ah, they have them too. Hey, listen, you can judge me all you want, but it does bring me a little bit of joy, okay? Um, when I go to a conference and a pastor walks up and the mic's not on, I'm like, <laughs> y'all got it too, you know? I, I love it. It, 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 it tickles me. I'm sorry. I, it's probably a flaw that God's going to strike me down for, but it's truth. It's truth. I get so excited. Um, But no leader chooses the limelight to be in the limelight. Typically, we don't choose it at all. It chooses us, and and it's a heavy load, and I'm not saying, like, woe is me. I, I love the load I carry. But here Moses is, and he's got 250 Levite leaders, church leaders coming to him going, you suck, and we want to be leaders. That's, in essence, what they were doing. And so God and Aaron and, and, and Moses have these conversations like stage left. And, and, God, and, and God tells Moses something. Moses goes and tells him and says, you know what? Go and prepare worship for God. And those that is not doing right, God is going to strike. And they come back and they do even more bad stuff. And, they, and God wipes out like 250, not only that, but they're in their families. Because they were choosing pridefulness and, and, and egos over godly morals and values and leadership. And then what happens is more people rise up and they're like, how dare you, Moses, you suck. And so God says, that's it. I'm sending a plague. Wipe out these people. And God and Moses and Aaron are having a, a moment in the tabernacle and God is telling him what he's going to do. And here's the mark of an amazing leader, first and foremost, but secondly, somebody who has the heart for people. This has nothing to do with leadership and everything to do with Bible. Everything to do with, with, with the mindset that Jesus says, I've come to save people. I come to love people. I put people first, right? Moses, in the middle of this conversation with God saying, I'm going to strike down everybody and I'm sending a plague. This is what happens. It says, and Moses said to Aaron, right? Quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. 
The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. I want you to hear something today. The only way for God to move in people's lives that don't know him is for those that do know him to run towards them. Paint this picture. Aaron had no clue if what he was about to do would work. He had no clue. He trusted his leader, and he believed what, what, what God had told him to do, he would come to pass. God said, I'm sending a plague. I'm going to kill these people. And so he grabs the, and there's a whole lot of symbolism in there with the, the, the altar and the incense, and, and he literally grabs a piece of, of, of God's presence in essence is what that would be. Because once it's a part of the altar, it's literally a part of God's presence in the Old Testament. He grabs God's presence, okay? Literally grabs a piece of his, of his presence and starts running towards a dead and hurting world. Not knowing if he would die as well. He ran towards death. It says that as soon as Aaron came face to face with the plague, the plague stopped. Why? Because Aaron was special? No, because he carried the presence of God into a hurting and dying people. And God's grace and mercy overcame the plague. And today, we live in a society where there's a plague of sinfulness and a plague of pride and a plague of, of, of hurt that, that, that just festers all around us. And we sit and we look at it and we go, this is what the church does. And I'm not saying us and I'm not saying you. I'm saying the church, capital C overall, they go, oh, we can't wait for Jesus to come back. <sighs> Jesus, when will you come? And Jesus is going, run towards the plague. But God, I'll get dirty. Ugh. Those sinners. What, what will they think of me? Well, you want to know what they think of the church now? Look around. That's why churches aren't full. Because more times than not, I hear, ah, oh, you know, church is full of hypocrites. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Bunch of hypocrites that got saved. Bunch of hungry people that got saved. Not perfect. Still struggling, still have good days and still have bad days. But, but the one thing that I would like to believe is that we are all running with a purpose as a team towards Jesus. Our goal then is to turn around and say, I've been there and I'm going to run towards and I'm going to stand between. I don't want more people to die. I don't want more people to go through the hurt that I've gone through. And so I'm going to be there to love on them. I'm going to be there to pray with them. I'm going to be there to, to, to give them godly advice. And I'm going to be there to stand in the middle of it. And if that means I have to run towards death to stop it, then so be it. I'll be an Aaron who stands between the living and the dead because I don't want more people to die. And if I can do anything with my life, I want to stop death and I want to produce life. Will you pray with me? Your 
maybe you're here and you're like, I, I feel like I'm on the death side of this plague. Well, then you're in the right place. Because God can change that. He doesn't have to change it overnight. He may change it over a, a, a multitude of months or years as you get closer to him. Not everything is a quick fix. Sometimes he's a miracle-making God, and he does it right then and there. It's, it's his will, not my will be done. Maybe you're walking through it, and you're like, man, I just, I don't want to be on the death side of the plague anymore. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, and you're sitting there, and you're like, I feel like I'm on the death side of the plague, and I'm asking and begging for somebody to, to, to run towards me. If that's, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hands? Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. You say, man, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. Secondly, the, the challenge is, and my prayer for all the rest of us is this, is that we start to be like Aaron and Moses. That we see the purpose in people, not because they're great, but because God is and he created us. So we're going to put our hope and our trust in him and we're going to live as a team. We're going to run as a team. We're going to focus and become closer because not because we, we, we want it or, or because we're trying to fake it, but because that's the way that God intended for his people to be. Go and do good everywhere, especially when it comes to church. We're going to live it out and live his word out. We're going to take it and we're going to run with it. And so Jesus, I pray right now for each and every one of us here. God, wherever we are in our faith walk, that God, that you would challenge us to step up a little. That God, that you would challenge us to, to say, you know what? I, maybe I, I'm not ready to, to be on a microphone and pray, but man, I could pray for my coworker. Or I could pray for my family member. You know what? I can, I can reach out to, and I can say, if you need prayer, I will pray with you. Maybe it's a little bit more uh, intentional time with you, God, that, that God, that we could step up our, our, our walk with you little by little. God, that as a team, we also hold each other accountable. God, that we would live out James 5, 16, confessing our, our hurts and our pains and our sins to one another and asking for prayer and praying with one another and holding each other accountable and holding each other in love so that we may grow strong and run this race together to see our friends and family and community change for the glory of the gospel. God, I thank you for being the leader of this church. And God, I will never take it for granted, but I, I thank you so much for the people that you have placed in our lives as a church that we get to do life with. God, encourage us, equip us, challenge and change us in every aspect of our life as we walk together as a brotherhood, a sisterhood of your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. I thank you for those that give of, the, of their time, their talent, their energy. God, as, they, as we give to your kingdom, we see fruitfulness of salvation. We see fruitfulness of discipleship. We see fruitfulness of a community changing for your glory. We love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. 